0: testament reading this morning comes from the epistle to the hebrews listen for what god is placing on our hearts this morning by faith the people passed through the red sea as if it were dry land and when the egyptians attempted to do so they were drowned by faith the walls of jericho fell after they had been encircled for seven days by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all of these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, one of Melissa and I's favorite seminary professors would begin each class with the Hebrew words Bokertov Kodoshin, which effectively translates to, good morning, saints. This was Dr. Dearman's daily greeting to us. And to hear him say those words to us with his gentle North Carolina drawl was like wrapping ourselves in a warm blanket. He made us feel so welcome. And even though Dr. Dearman is a highly accomplished Old Testament scholar, a beloved professor, and a well-respected archaeological researcher, We just simply knew him as Andy. Now, Andy's daily greeting to us served as a reminder of our connectivity and association with our ancestors, the great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us in faith, those who have run the race set before us all. It also served to remind us that, well, believe it or not, we are all saints. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you are all saints as well. Not because you exemplify what it means to be followers of Christ Jesus necessarily. Not because you are incredibly pious or perfect in that everything you do exudes holiness, although some of you are pretty close. We are all saints. Why are you laughing, Larry? (laughs) We are all saints because as disciples and followers of Christ, we are heirs to the throne and active participants in the furtherance of the kingdom. We are members of the family and members of the faithful community. As followers of Christ Jesus, we have been set apart for God's special purposes And as a result, every follower of Jesus Christ is a saint. And so, we should all claim our sainthood. Our scripture this morning from the epistle to the Hebrews is a great reminder that we are indeed all saints. And more than that, we are connected to all those who have gone ahead of us, the great cloud of witnesses We don't run the race alone. We have a great community that surrounds us. And these last two chapters of Hebrews also serve as reminders, encouragement, and hope for what the author of Hebrew claims as the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This particular text opens with a a recitation of exemplars from Israel's long and sacred story of people who have demonstrated their faith through their actions. By listing all of these ancestors in faith, we are reminded of their courage and perseverance, their faithfulness in the face of persecution and danger. They give us strength to run the race before us in our time and place. Their stories remind us that no matter how frightening and tumultuous our context, others have faced no less challenging circumstances and remained faithful to the covenant made to Abraham and through Abraham to us. So how quick we often forget that we have brothers and sisters in faith who have gone before us, who have also faced challenge and adversity. One commentator writes, the present lection moves forward through Israel's sacred story, first with the faith of those who crossed the Red Sea in the face of Egyptian pursuit, then of Rahab and Jericho, and finally with the rehearsal of the prophetic figures better known to us, through the uh, stories of judges. As the recitation draws us to its conclusion, the references become less precise, although it is possible to discern at least some of them. Samuel, the administrators or administers of justice, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are likely those that shut the mouths of lions and quenched raging fire. David is perhaps the one who won strength out of weakness and became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. The widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite mother both received their dead by resurrection. And while those other references remain obscure, the writer lifts up the faithfulness of those who experienced various tortures, imprisonments, beatings, and death. Now, I'm sure, like me, you are totally familiar with and clearly remember all of those stories from the Old Testament mentioned in this passage. But just in case some of us might need a little refresher, let's look briefly at the story of the widow of Zarephath and the Shunammite mother. The word of the Lord came to Elijah and told him to go to the town of Zarephath, located about eight and a half miles south of Sidon and 14 miles north of Tyre. There, Elijah encountered a widow gathering sticks. He called to her and said, bring me some, clear, some, some water so that I may drink. And as she was doing so, he called to her again and asked her to bring a morsel of bread. But in response, she said, I have nothing baked, and only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Elijah then said to her, Do not be afraid. Go and do as I have said. But first make a little cake with what you have and bring it to me. Then make something for you and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel the jar of the meal will not be emptied, and the jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So the widow did as the prophet Elijah instructed and the jar of meal was not emptied and neither did the jug of oil fail. After this, the son of the woman fell ill and was so severe that he was left without breath. So the widow called to Elijah and said, what have you against me? O man of God, have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause the death of my son? But Elijah said to her, give me your son. He took him from her and carried him up to the upper chamber and and laid him on his bed. Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I am staying by killing her son? Then he stretched himself out over the the child three times and cried out loud to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. The Lord listened to Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he was revived. Elijah then took the child to his mother and said, See, your son is alive. And the woman said, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. Similarly, the story of Elisha raising the Shunammite woman's son is a story of great faith. Well, one day Elisha was passing through the small village of Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived. She urged Elisha to, to have a meal and as he passed through there regularly, he would and did. The woman said to her husband, I am sure this man is a holy man of God. Let us prepare a room for him so that whenever he passes by, he can stay with us. So then on another day, when Elisha came by, he went up to the room to rest. He said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite woman and say to her, since you have taken all this trouble for us, what may be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I live among my own people. He said, What then may be done? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. Elisha said to her, In due time, you shall embrace a son. She replied, No, my lord, O man of God. Do not deceive your servant. Now after some time, the woman had a son, as Elisha had declared. When the child was older, he went out one day to his father in the fields. He complained, oh, my head, my head, and was carried back to his mother and sadly died. The woman took her son to the room prepared for Elisha and had one of the servants retreat a mule for her to go to the man of God. And come back again. She set out and came to the man of God, Elisha, at Mount Carmel. When Elisha saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite woman. Run at once to meet her and ask her if, if she is all right. When she came to Elisha, she caught hold of his feet. And even though Gehazi approached to push her away, Elisha said, Let her alone, for she is in bitter distress. The Lord has hidden it from me and not told me. The woman then said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not mislead me? Elisha said to Gehazi, Go, lay my staff on the face of the child. But the woman said, I will not leave without you. So he rose up and followed her. Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sign of life. When Elisha came into the house and saw the child lying dead, he went in close and prayed to the Lord. He uh, he laid over him, then got up and walked to and fro in the room. Then he got up again and bent over the child. The child sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Elisha summoned Gehazi to call the Shunammite woman. When she came to him, he said, "Take your son." And she fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she took her son and left. These two stories from the books of 1st and 2nd Kings respectively may not make the pantheon of great stories of faith from the Bible. But they certainly do serve to remind us that learning from these heroes of faith can and should lead us to real-life responses. As one of my favorite commentators writes this week, as odd as the inspiring litany in Hebrew seems this Sunday, it is, in fact, the illustration of making a choice for God, no matter the consequences. So these ancestors, these heroes of faith, made bold decisions and leaned into their faith. They stand as our brothers and sisters who have run their race and have lived in faith before us. They stand cheering us and urging us on to persevere and continue our own race. Well, I'm reminded of the time that Melissa somehow convinced me to run the Austin City Half Marathon. (laughs) We were still students in seminary and I I guess we were engaged by this point. I think we we might've even been married. We had been working out with a trainer at our local gym to lose weight and get in shape for our wedding. And since we had um, been working so hard for so long to get in shape, Well, why not run a half marathon? Now, running is not my idea of a good time. I prefer sports. Get me in the context of a sport, soccer, basketball, football, tennis, whatever. And it's a whole different story. But running, nah. Melissa, however, has a background in cross country and track and field. She's participated in numerous triathlons and races like this throughout her life, and she really enjoys them. Now, in keeping with the keep Austin weird motto that the city boasts, the Austin Marathon and the accompanying races promises to show a glimmer of what makes that city so quirky and unique and special. Throughout the course... Uh, There are scenic views of the city and landmarks that adorn the race. The race also leads you through cute and funky neighborhoods, which Austin is known for. And over a dozen local live bands play all types of music from rock to mariachi to encourage runners along the way. So since we had already put in a lot of work to lose weight and get in shape and we were getting to, uh, um, and, and since it was a spectacle to behold, I thought, well, let's give it a try. So needless to say, I was extremely nervous. I didn't know what to expect and I certainly had no idea what I was in for. And for those of you who have run races like this, you might remember what your first time felt like. Nerves, anxiety, fear, mystery of the unknown, it can be and is a daunting task. Well, anyway, we got to downtown Austin early in the morning, and after managing to find a parking space, we gathered around the starting line with all of the other crazy people who thought this was a good idea. There were thousands and thousands of people gathered, waiting for their turn to start this race. Of course, the professional runners, the marathoners and half-marathoners started first, followed by the more professional amateur athletes like college and high school runners. Then came the different categories and pace groups. It felt like an eternity, but our time finally came. As we started on that first mile, my nerves subsided a bit. That first mile wasn't so bad, but then came the first hill. A gradual climb down South Congress through a funky part of town with cool music venues and incredible restaurants. After making it over that first hill, I thought, okay, I might be able to do this. So as I began to settle in, I started to develop a rhythm and a steady pace. It was slow, but hey, at least I was moving. The first few miles passed with no problem, but then all of a sudden around mile seven or so, I began to have pain in one of my feet. I tried to fight through it, but only managed another half mile or so until I couldn't bear running on it anymore and I had to start walking. Even though I was disappointed and I was hurting so bad that I just wanted to quit, Melissa encouraged me to keep going And finish the race we had started, started, even if we had to slow our pace and walk the rest of the way. And that's what she did. She stood by me. We managed to walk the rest of the course and finish. I couldn't tell you what our time was, but I can tell you that even though I limped over that finish line, I did, in fact, complete my first and only half marathon. And it was an incredible experience. Now, I told you that I didn't know what to expect, and I knew running a a half marathon was going to be hard, but I didn't realize how sore I would be after the race. Have you ever been so tired and sore that you can hardly wash your hands? Yep, that's how bad it was for me. I was sore for nearly an entire week after that race. Now, in spite of how miserable I felt after the race, I did realize how incredible of an experience it was. It was incredible to see the sheer number of people who participated, who ran the race before me and after me. It was incredible to see the vast number of supporters and volunteers who lined the streets we ran with posters and Um, noisemakers and musical instruments, words of encouragement and affirmation, and most importantly, love. All of those folks supported us along the journey along our race. Some paved the way for us. Some stood along the way shouting and cheering. Some of them gave us water when we needed it. Some of them made us laugh with funny costumes or signs or dancing, taking our minds off the pain and giving us hope just when our faith started to waver. Some of them walked with us when we could no longer run and could only hobble along. And so, friends, we know that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Some known to the world, some known only to us. Some who have gone before us and run the race, and some who journey alongside with us. Those are saints, and we are saints. We are all part of this great cloud of witnesses. In this, we should find our encouragement to remain faithful and not grow weary or lose heart. Thanks be to God. Amen.